Good morning, church. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Before we get started, let's bow. Lord, we do need you. Oh, how we need you. Every, every hour, we need you. And we're not the only ones that profess that this morning. We ask you to please also be with the First Baptist Church as together they come together as a family to profess that, to break bread, uh, to preach from your word, and to hopefully leave there like we hope to leave here, looking a little bit more like Christ than we did when we walked in. Please hear all of our prayers to do that and bless all of our efforts. For we ask in Christ's name and everyone said, I don't know about you, but when I see gear, like the gear that's been sitting at center stage for the last couple of weeks, it just grabs me. It awakens concern in me. It alarms me. Especially when I see this gear being worn by first responders, even on the news. But I also had a chance to see some of that gear in my own home on November the 4th when first responders came to help us with an emergency with Gail's mom, who'd had a stroke. I've also seen those lights and seen that gear in our neighborhood at other homes that were close by ours. It just, just grabs me every time I see one of our first responders in it. It tells me something's wrong. It tells me something's happened that's brought danger. It's brought injury. Maybe property's been damaged. Maybe they just need some simple sentence. Maybe a death has occurred. But something has taken place where somebody needs some help. And I thank God that we have people who wear those uniforms and respond for us. My hope in placing it here has been that along with the messages that you've heard from here, twofold. If you're a Christian, a rescue team has been dispatched to reach out and search you out and find you and save you, whether you realize it was going on or not. But Jesus also would like to enlist you, who know that you have been found, to help search for and rescue others. For the last three weeks, we have heard from some men who knew Jesus personally, walked with him bodily as he lived among us, and through them we have heard in Jesus' own words why he came. And here they are again. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. The Son of Man came to search and to rescue those who were lost. He had to because we couldn't get to him. Our sinful choices, our sinful rebellious behaviors had created a distance between us and him and we couldn't be in his presence and so he had to come and be with us. A cross in an empty tomb took care of, as Adam talked to us a few moments ago about, the sin debt that we had incurred because of all that. But he rescued us in order that we might rescue Others, Yes, enjoy the blessings of that salvation. Yes, enjoy the privileges of family. But, but to not stop there. But to use it as a springboard to reach out to others. Quick review of lesson one. Number one, it was simply entitled disaster. Because anybody who's without Christ, we believe, is living in the midst of a disaster, whether they know it or not. 
And if they die in that state, Scripture is very, very clear, their eternity will be a disaster. The second lesson was simply entitled Friends. Because to get out of this disaster situation requires help from a friend. Nobody can save themselves, Jesus says. And we're reminded throughout all of Scripture that if we are in this room and part of the family of God, it's because we've had help getting here from someone who befriended us. There are those of you likewise who need you, my friend, to be a friend to help them get to where you are. And so today's lesson is simply entitled one word also. Decision. Because church, I'm hoping you decide today to enlist and become a first responder. Don't have to. But I'm hoping you do. That you're all in. That you're all about being a part of Jesus' search and rescue team. At least on an awareness level. And I say that because on an action level, on the put into practice everyday level, we're going to have to switch metaphors. And I know that's going to be a little bit odd and a little bit confusing maybe, but we're going to try. You see, the image of search and rescue is appropriate and I think necessary for raising awareness of the crisis that's at hand. But actually dealing with it requires some other metaphors because you can't live in crisis mode. <laughs> you won't. And so to try and to, and to paint a picture of what God's called us to do as a part of his rescue team with rescue gear, I think that helps, again, with awareness but not taking action. Jesus has given us two other metaphors, though, to help us put into practice day to day what he's asking of us to help rescue other people and find them. And the two metaphors are first of a farmer planting seed, and the other metaphor is of a fisherman casting his nets. Now, we looked at the farmer metaphor the weekend my faith mom, Carlene, died. And so today I'm going to look at the fisherman narrative today, all right? Because already we know we are farmers. We sang that, and you practiced that, and you did so well. But we did. We, we, we looked at God's word on that. We sang that. It's in our hearts. Matter of fact, I still am singing that stupid song all the time. But it's a great reminder every time I hear it about who I am. I'm a farmer. And I can't get away from this principle of sowing and reaping that God sowed into his world. What I put into life largely is what I'm going to get out. Can't escape that. If I want to experience the harvest of financial security, I have to sow sound financial principles into my life in order to reap that. Great marriages don't just happen. I have to sow loving actions into that marriage in order to reap a loving relationship. Teachers of the year don't just happen. There's something that they sow into their lives that others notice to reap an award like that. That's the area, idea, awareness of sowing and reaping. And you know what? Finding lost people has to be included in that. There are some actions we have to sow in order to reap a harvest of men and women coming to Christ. And so farming is a matter that you can live by day in and day out to bring the lost people to Christ. But we've talked about that narrative. What I want to do this morning is talk about fishing. And you know the story in Luke chapter 5. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, 
The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God, and he saw at the water's edge two boats. They were left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets close by. And so he got into one of those boats, the one that was belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little bit from the shore, and then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, what do you say, let's put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch? And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. We hadn't caught a thing. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and to help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Would you go away from me, please? Because, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said something to Simon. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for what church? Men. You'll fish for men. You'll fish for people. And so they pulled their boats up on the shore and they left everything. They left everything. And they followed him. Search and rescue may be the compelling image Jesus uses to make us aware of the crisis at hand and why it's so imperative that we join it. But farming and fishing are the two metaphors he uses to instruct us on how. Day to day, we go about finding lost people. Here's the first principle in from, in one of the most from one of the most famous fishing stories Jesus ever told. Number one, you catch fish by making an intentional effort to do so. Even with Jesus in the boat, listen to me, you have to be purposeful in order to catch fish. Peter was tired. <laughs> he was discouraged because he hadn't caught any fish all night long. And yet because Jesus asked him to, Peter intentionally loads his clean nets turns his boat around, and takes his tired back out fishing again. Because you can't catch fish unless you attempt to catch fish, even when Jesus is with you. I'm going to say this very little in my life that I have had the privilege to enjoy is accidental. Not my relationship with Jesus, not my health, not my job, not my marriage, not my kids, not my friends, not my home, not my hobbies. All of that is enjoyed through a mixture of two things. Number one, God's grace. And the other split in two is this, my gratefulness and stewardship. One, he's intentional about. The other, I'm intentional about. Most everything in my life, both good and bad, exists because of intentionality. Because on purpose I did something. Because while you may catch fish as a hobby, like this fella, In order to catch enough fish to feed your family and to feed others, it requires a little bit more effort. And those are the two images I want to give you. Back to the other one. You can fish for a hobby. May not need to catch anything at all. But if you're going to catch fish for your family and for others, that's going to require absolute intention and specific effort. Yes, it requires God's blessing, but it's also going to require your effort. 
That's why I agree with Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10. As far as a life principle, here's one. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but still the grace of God that was in me. And I can say that with him. I am what I am by the grace of God, but because of that, I don't mind working to appreciate it and to share it with others. I don't mind that. So can we just be honest? Midway into this series, why aren't we seeing people come to Jesus more than we do? I think the question that has to be asked really is this. How much do you really want to catch fish? I hope so. How much are you willing to be intentional to catch fish? Because it's not because the fish aren't out there. I think we need to be honest at this part of the series and part of this sermon. A huge part of the reason is, is I just don't make it a priority. I just don't make it a priority. Did you know there's 190 million people in America that have no relationship with Jesus Christ at all? That would make them the fifth largest nation in the world. Pew Research says that about 45 million of them would come to a service like this if we just asked them. And yet I would venture to say that over 75% of churches in America are not making any real concerted effort to invite them or to catch them for Jesus. Now they're making an effort to take care of the fish in the boat, but they're not going after the ones outside very hard, with very much intention, with very much purpose. You say, well, Jimmy, how much of that do you think is true for the KCC family? Can I be honest? Let me ask you this. Of all the things that you intend to impart to your kids before they leave home, is one of them how to catch fish for Jesus? I know there's a lot of things that you want to impart to them, that you want them to see an example of, that you want to train them in, but is one of them how to bring someone who is lost into a personal relationship? Do you want them to see that in you and to be able, when they leave your home, to do that themselves? Is that on your parenting list? That's how I want to ask the question. Because it wasn't for the sportsmen's. Now, I can tell you this. We want them to know how to dribble, kick, throw, hit, and shoot a ball for sure. But catching fish, I don't think so. Not a priority. Maybe a hobby. Maybe accidentally, but not a priority. Which is why generation after generation of us can live and die without being able to point to one person that we had a direct impact on in coming to Christ. Let me get even more prophetic-like with this statement before you dismiss this as too indicting. When we get completed with 2019, what number of people do you hope say yes to Jesus Christ through this church? Any idea whatsoever? We have over 300 adults that regularly meet here. We're going to spend right at $400,000 under the purpose of leading ordinary people into an extraordinary relationship with Jesus, will it matter to you personally if we don't? If not, why not? 
Why not? How many people do you hope say yes to a relationship with Jesus Christ this year, you personally? Please correct me if I'm wrong, but shouldn't that be the reason that we have a children's ministry and a youth ministry and a worship ministry and a preaching ministry and buildings and maintenance and ladies' Bible class and elders and deacons and staff? To grow us up to make disciples. Not just to be a disciple, but to make disciples. Because there are fish out there desperately in need of being caught. There are lost out there desperately in need of being rescued. Part of the answer has to be this. No. I really don't want to put my effort into that. I don't. And we're going to have to own that church if we can get past it ever. I have to own that if I'm ever going to get past it myself. Fishing for men and women has to be our aim, not as a duty, but as a delight. Let's listen to a Christian killer turned Christian maker and what he said about his delight. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus Christ has given me. That's my aim. The task of testifying to the great news of God's amazing grace. Church as followers of Christ, can our aim be anywhere else? To catch fish, you have to, number one, make a specific effort to catch fish. Number two, you've got to go where the fish are. <laughs> Hello? You've got to make a specific effort to catch fish, but, but we see in the text here, you've got to go where the fish are. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 4, Jesus tells Peter, put the boat out into the deep water. Why? It's where the fish are. They're not there on the bank. I know that sounds revolutionary, but we've got to hear it. In most fishing, they don't come to you. You've got to go to them. Here's another secret about most fish. They don't want to be caught. They don't. In the last few years, it's been popular to say of churches in America that the lost are seekers. Here's the problem. Most lost people aren't seeking. That doesn't mean that they don't have a void in their life. It doesn't mean that they aren't struggling with feelings of emptiness and meaninglessness. But most lost people don't get out of bed in the morning, put their feet on the ground and say, you know, I'm going to look for God today. I'm going to look for a relationship with Jesus Christ. But they're not supposed to. They're not the seekers. You are. <laughs> I am. We're the seekers. Jesus called us to be the seekers. He told us to go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all things that he's taught us. In John chapter 17 and verse 18, he says, As you sent me, so am I sending you. I'm sending them. Hallelujah, Jesus saved me. Thrilled about that. Want to make a snow angel in that. But he didn't just save me for my benefit. He saved me to save others. And he has you too. Having come to Jesus Christ, he's asking you to go for Jesus Christ. Or put another way, I was meant to be sent. But most churches are quite willing for the lost to come and try and find them. Did you hear me? Most churches 
are very content to have the lost come and try to find them and on their terms. Have you noticed, church, they're not coming? I, for one, am concerned that what takes place in this time with my preaching has a lot to do with that. So I'm making some changes in my life. Had a couple of meetings with the elders about how I want to spend my time from this day forward. And it's going to be a little bit less in that office in there and more out there where the fish are. And so I've handed over some responsibilities that, that I couldn't let go of until I did that. But I'm, I'm spending less time with this part of my life and much more time out there hoping to save somebody else's. I'm making that change. In church, where scripture gives us freedom to change and change is needed, your elders are praying to God, show us what we need to do to change. And then have the courage to make those changes. And if we are like most churches, the simple fact is most don't love the lost enough to make those changes in the way they fish to reach where the fish are. They just won't. But any successful fisherman, hunter, or disciple that I know of keeps the law in mind at all times. But is adaptable to doing almost anything to be successful as a fisherman or a hunter or disciple maker. They work to find out where their objects of affection are hanging out. They talk to others who are being successful in reaching what they're after. And they make the necessary changes to do that. And an example of this makes me smile every time that I think about it. A fellow who was always catching fish would come in with his stringer full. And all of his buddies there at the dock were just always so envious. Finally, one day after catching one more huge stringer, an old boy swallowed his pride and said with a great deal of humility, All right, John. How do you do it? Every day you go out and catch fish. John said, I don't mind telling you at all. When I get up in the morning, if my wife kisses me on the left side of the cheek, I fish off the left side of the boat. If she kisses me on the right side of the cheek, I fish off the right side of the boat. And one of the smart alecks sitting there said, well, what happens if she kisses you on the mouth? I don't go fishing that morning. Fishermen go where the fish are, and they have an eye on what the fish are biting on, and they're willing to make changes necessary to what bait they're using. Break the law? Never. But break their comfortable, non-productive habits? They have to, if they want to catch fish. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 22, to the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. And I do this for the sake of this incredible news, this gospel in my heart. Now that sounds like a man who's serious about catching fish, who's thrilled about the opportunity to try to catch some fish. Here's my question. What about you? What about you? What are you willing to become so that others might become a disciple of Jesus Christ. We're attempting to find some answers here at our church. The church that I grew up in couldn't read a Bible that wasn't King James. It was a rule in our church. The King James Bible is a great Bible and it's written in beautiful English, but most people can't understand it and most people won't read it. Thank God we've moved on from that. You can't find a church that's growing in reaching lost people in the last 20 years that has not profoundly changed its worship style. 
And we're making changes in that area regularly here at KCC. Without compromising biblical truths, fishing churches have made changes in their worship to better connect with lost people when we bring them. And we have every intention of trying to do that here at KCC. In the church I grew up in, a sacred space like this was where most worship and discipleship was done. This eldership is becoming increasingly aware that Jesus put an end to sacred spaces being discipleship central. He grew the church through homes because it is there that we make a better case that creating sacred people is more important than creating sacred spaces. And your elders are aiming at not just asking you to use your home as the primary point of the contact with the lost. We're leading you there. There is no place better to hear how Jesus Christ can change a life than in your, listen to me, living room. Affect the fishermen. Don't expect the fish to come meet them. They go to them. Because you have to fish where they live. And you know what, church? I don't see many of them living here. Do you? Number three. I make an effort to be intentional. They go where the fish are. But then they put their nets in the water. <laughs> Jesus said, Peter, put out in the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Bless his heart. Think about all Peter had to do to ignore what he was feeling. First, he had to ignore reason because everybody knows you fish at night in that culture and in that place. The water is clear there. The fish can see the nets and so you fish at night. Besides that, it's just cooler then. So you don't fish during the day, you fish at night. Number two, he had to think about fatigue. He'd been fishing all night and the boy was tired, worn out. All he wanted was some food and a nap. Number three, he had to ignore his fear and humiliation that could quite easily have been experienced in a few moments. What if I'd put my net out in the middle of the day and put it up, pulled it up, and there was nothing in it? I'd be the laughing stock on the boat, on the boat dock for months. Church, we're going to have to ignore fatigue. We're going to have to ignore reason and maybe even some humiliation if we're going to catch men. Peter said, because you say so, Lord... I'll let down the nets. Go. Go make disciples. Because you say so, we'll go, Lord. We'll go. Because there comes a time when you stop talking about fishing and you actually go fish. And for us, that means when you finally make a verbal witness about Jesus. Let me say that again. Putting your net down happens when you Make a verbal witness, testimony. Tell somebody about Jesus Christ. You let somebody know that you're a follower of Christ and you tell them why you are. Here's what Paul said to a group of Jesus followers like you about fishing. Romans chapter 10 says, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, but how in the world can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've not heard about him? And how can they hear him unless someone tells them about him? And the implied answer is that they can't. I wonder if my marriage relationship could 
handle the secrecy that many of our relationships with Jesus mirror. Occasionally I've had to travel without my wife to places either because I'm speaking there or going on a hunting trip or something. And I wonder if the next time that I do, or maybe even every time that I walk out of the house, my wife saw me do this. Now, knowing Yale, do you think she'd let me get by with that? Now, we could have a discussion about it. I could tell her, I said, you know, Lord, I love you, and you love me, and we both know that we love each other, so what if, what if I'm out there and somebody sees me in a restaurant or a hotel and doesn't think that I'm married? Is there really any big deal about that? Does it really matter that anybody else thinks that we're married? Isn't it just enough to know that I love you and you love me and we know that about each other? After she picked a shoe up to hit me, that wouldn't fly. Why would we think it flies with Christ about our relationship with him? Why are we convinced we can walk around as disciples and be so nonverbal about that? Because he loves me and I love him and isn't it enough that we have this relationship together? Isn't that enough? And he would say, no. No. Not any more than, than me putting my wedding ring up in my pocket works with her. It can't. When you read the documents of the New Testament and you follow the lives of the men and women who wrote those and how much it cost them, I don't think you could ever walk away from Scripture saying being a silent Christian is enough. You say, well, Jimmy, I, I just don't know how to talk about it. Well, we've tried to help you. Over the last two and a half years, we've invited you to come to some classes on Sunday morning Specifically around the book, Walk Across the Room with Bill Hybels, phenomenal book on how to be verbal about what Christ has done in your life and, and how to go about doing that so it's not weird and funky and maybe six the first year, maybe eight the, sec the second year. And what that says to me is this, I just don't need that. I don't want that. It's part of our reoccurring every fifth quarter rhythm of trying to equip people to be discipleship in Jesus Christ. The internet is full of ways without some kind of a specific class to be able to say, how do I share my testimony? Next week, if you're back here, we're going to walk through just a little bitty format of how you share your testimony in less than three minutes with someone, less than two minutes about what Christ has meant in your life. But here's where we are so far. Those who fish for men do so because they make an effort to do so. They do so because they go where the fish are. They do so because they put their line in the water. And they do so finally because they believe catching fish matters. And that will only happen when you come to realize that it matters to you. Years ago, Rick actually told a story that stayed with me, and I'll conclude with this. He and his wife, Jamie, had taken a trip to New York City. One day they were attempting to go see the Museum of Natural History and accidentally got on the wrong subway. 
They'd only been riding about three minutes when they realized they should have been there by now. After ten minutes, they were for sure they had messed up. But about that time, it dawned on them why maybe God had them on the subway. A fellow stood up, and he had some candy bars in a basket. Rick and Jamie both took one. About 20 people took some of his candy bars. And once he'd passed out the candy bars, he said, do you mind if I talk with you for a second? And he started preaching. Rick said, he started preaching. And he said it was good. He talked about how all of us had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But how Jesus Christ had provided a way through the cross and the resurrection. That that separation might be canceled. That that debt that we had held because of our sin would be canceled. And that we could have those sins washed away and God's spirit could move into our lives. And Rick said, about a third of the people just thought he was an annoyance. And about a third of the people just went on with reading their papers. They ignored him. But about a third of the people tuned in. And they were listening. And Rick said, Jamie and I were one of them. Two of them. But he started to think, what gives this guy so much courage to be able to share Jesus like this? And could I do what he was doing? Do I know anybody from my church who would get on a subway bus and preach like this man's preaching? And then he finished his sermon with these words. Let me tell you why I'm here. Because five years ago, I wasn't here. I was on the streets for 15 years as a heroin addict, and my life was a living hell. And I never met a power who could deliver me until I met Jesus Christ and I became a new creation that day. He said, I'm a living testimony that everything that I've just told you is true. But more than that, it's true in my life. It was then that Rick realized where his boldness had come from. It came from a gratefulness of being saved and having to tell somebody about it. He had to go public. He had to. Folks, deciding to fish for people is closely tied to being grateful for being delivered by God. That's all. It's not complicated. You can hardly contain some of the stuff that you're excited about and want people to share in. I've listened to you. Does Jesus fit in there anywhere at all? If not, why not? In Luke chapter 7 and verse 47, Jesus may describe why. A woman had fallen at his feet in a public place at a dinner, and she was lavishing tears and lavishing expensive ointment on his feet, kissing those feet, making really kind of a spectacle of herself. And when asked why Jesus would, would not rebuke her, he said, you can't stop someone who's been forgiven that much. They can't help themselves. They just love that much. They love out loud. So, decision. Not going to ask you to fill out a card. Not going to ask you to put your name on a list. I'm asking for this to take place in your heart, for you to sign on the dotted line there. Will you join me? And being on Jesus' search and rescue team. Please. The stakes are high. You can't walk around in crisis mode all the time. But you can walk around with awareness that the way that we handle that, just like any good fisherman would. 
Father in heaven, we come to you and we ask you to please bless our efforts as this church family looks inwardly and gets honest with our lives and who we are as a church and what our agenda is in trying to reach lost people and how effective it's being. And Father, where we're not because it's our choice, because we've either been misinformed or we've just gotten comfortable in some habits that take care of a lot of fish here but don't bring a lot of fish in. Please, we're asking by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you lead us in being a part of your search and rescue team? Teach us to fish better. Teach us to sow better. For your glory and for your name. We ask it in Christ. And everyone said, if you want to be baptized into Christ because of some of this good news you've been hearing about today, I'd love to help you make that cross from being apart from God to being tight with God beginning right now. Come see me, okay? And if you're here this morning and you'd like for someone to wrap their arms around you and say, you know, you're talking about me. There have been a lot of other priorities in my life, and fishing for men hasn't been one of them. And I need somebody's arms around me to help me to stay true to this commitment I just made in my heart. I'll help you do that. So will these elders. Let's stand. Let's sing, church.